Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording called Inclusivity in the Workplace. Hope you enjoy. We are going to be discussing inclusivity in the restaurant workplace. We're going to talk a lot about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion here. I'm going to let the panelists introduce themselves. Uh, areas of discussion we're going to touch on, why inclusivity really matters, policies and procedures uh, around that within the workplace, and how we're really thinking about and defining our investment in that I think is pretty important. And we will be taking a lot of the information that we've been learning from the people that are going to be on this panel speaking with us today, as well as just the broader community around how to implement these into restaurants. Uh, policies, procedures into the business model itself so that these do not get missed, so that they have a proper place within onboarding, within training, with ongoing culture, education, with investment, so that we make room for these important areas uh, from the onset, that they aren't just uh, window dressing. So that's an important aspect we're going to be touching on uh, today. Yeah, I want to give uh, the moderators uh, just a minute or so to introduce themselves. We'll just kind of go around the horn. Just press that uh, microphone button to unmute yourself uh, when you are speaking. We'll have one person uh, kind of speaking at a time. Uh, and Mo, if you want to kick us off. Awesome. What's up, everyone? My name is Mo Abdullah, and I am the founder and lead trainer at Culture Energize. And we do a lot of uh, fundamental and um, interactive diversity, equity, inclusion trainings for a variety of different companies um, and different fields. So I come to the space with uh, just a, a DEI lens and a trainer lens and on how from fundamentally building out your DEI, um, your DEI program, some, some basic things that you can put in place. Thanks for that, Mo, and the work that you're doing. I'm excited, too. One of uh, people we work with uh, out here in Denver is going to be taking Mo's training coming up in a couple weeks. So really honored to have learned from Mo a little bit, and we'll hear a lot more on that. But to actually be able to, uh, Kai, connect us with Mo, to then have Mo connect with Andrew, who runs the consulting side of what we do, to then be able to build some inclusive language into uh, the HR program for a client to then be able to actually have Mo interact and start to uh, affect change. It means a lot that we're actually able to take that into action pretty quick. So the things that we learn here today, guarantee you we're going to hustle at Best Serve to make sure that this word gets out there. So appreciate that. Uh, Mackenzie, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, thanks uh, for having me. Really happy to be here. I am the Senior Director of People and Culture at Seven Shifts, which is a tech company. Um, we're a Canadian-based tech company with offices in Saskatoon, Toronto, and New Jersey. And I've been with the team since we were about 40 people, now coming up on 160. So um, it's been it's been really great kind of scaling the team, scaling the company, and our, our 
um, I guess, newest adventure is, is um, building out our DE&I committee, which, which has involved a lot of learning that I'm really proud of and excited to talk about today. Mackenzie, really great to have you. Uh, we've loved to get and interact with Jordan and Chris and DJ, the whole team at Seven Shifts. You guys are really committed to it, uh, to people, and that's so important to us. Uh, this business is a people business, as you hear, but it's a relationship business, and I think that's super important is for us to really invest in people. So I appreciate that you guys are doing it up there in uh, Saskatchewan, Toronto, New York, so appreciate that. Uh, Ali, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey y'all, I'm Allie Spalding. I am the general manager of A League of Her Own in Washington, DC. We are a lesbian, queer bar and safe space. Uh, I'm really thrilled to be a part of this discussion. My background originally was in um, higher education in uh, recruitment for women's universities. So I have uh, quite a bit of experience in terms of diversity and inclusion in that sense, but I'm thrilled to learn more every day and really excited to be here. Thanks, Ali. Kai, Kai, and, and I'll give Kai a little pre-introduction. Uh, Kai is really the one that brought us all together, was somebody who um, has connected with my, my team pretty heavily, really guided us, our thinking, allowed us to kind of bring all this content through uh, Pride Month forward, and uh, they have just been absolute leader and communicator, so big shout out to Kai, and, and take it from there, uh, Kai. Oh, go geez. ahead and tell us a little bit yeah, more about Yeah, thank you. Together. Yeah, I'm a great, what a nice I'm a little great intro. Hype man. <laughs> yeah, no, I can tell. Yeah. Um, well, hey, everyone. My name is Kai Walsh. I use they, them pronouns. I am the founder of the Queer Umbrella. And so it's kind of our mission to grow and connect LGBTQ leaders, but also just overall increase equity and inclusion in the workplace. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation with everyone. And uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Happy to have you here as well. Uh, Erica, right on time, perfect. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, I uh, appreciate you being here. Erica, also somebody who's uh, been really influential in helping us bring this together with having so many great uh, bars as part of the Lesbian Bar Project and Allie and a league of her own. Uh, being part of that. So it's been really great interacting, learning, meeting new people. So Erica, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you and your work. Yeah. Um, what's up, everyone? I'm Erica. She, her pronouns. I am the co-founder and co-director of the Lesbian Bar Project. Um, the Lesbian Bar Project is a documentary and fundraising campaign to help spread awareness and preserve the remaining 21 lesbian bars left in the United States. So we just released a 20-minute uh, film a couple weeks ago, and that kick-started our pool fund campaign. Uh, we are trying to raise $200,000 uh, this Pride for our lesbian uh, bars. Last year, we released a PSA, and that PSA uh, was awesome, super successful, and we managed to raise over $117,000 for the bars. So really excited to be here. Um, Hi, Ali. Hi, Kai. Um, and just really stoked to be part of this conversation. Yeah, what, a, what an honor to have all of you here. So uh, as I mentioned, I kind of want to, one, just 
really set the tone and, and try to understand this as as individuals, as teams, as companies, as an industry. I want to bring some high level thinking because we have deep thinkers and uh, leaders on this panel for sure. And I also want to drill down, get down into some rabbit holes where we can get some practical uh, advice, some actionable items that uh, people within the industry as workers and or businesses can can actually apply. And so we're going to kind of take that approach. But I wanted to start, you know, even for myself, uh, needing to educate myself as a, as a cisgender HAPA male, like I'm navigating my own complicity in so many of the, the systemic issues that our industry has had over the last 20 years, being somebody who's a chef, uh, an owner, an operator, consultant. And so I'm always trying to take a lot of my own medicine, which is why I'm always just trying to surround myself with people that are just at the forefront of what this industry needs to be all about. So being able to interact with Kai, Mo, with Mackenzie and Seven Shifts, with Erica, and now being able to connect with somebody like Ali, it's meaningful for me. And so I want to like really be uh, creating a space where there's that opportunity. One of the things that I recognized was you know, DEI is something that gets thrown around and, and we say these things and we talk about being a family in restaurants, but I don't think we actually know what that means. And a lot of that comes from our own self-doubt and issues with self-worth. And that's a whole topic that we dig into a lot. But I wanted to just actually read this just to be sure that people are understanding what we're talking about. Diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI. So I wanted to read these off for everybody and then we'll get into it a little bit. Diversity is the presence of difference that may include race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, ethnicity, nationality, socioeconomic status, language, disability, age, religious commitment, or political perspective. Populations that have been and remain underrepresented among practitioners in the field and marginalized in the broader society. So diversity, it's important for us to understand that. Equity is promoting justice, impartiality, and fairness within the procedures, processes, and distribution of resources by institutions or systems. Tackling equity issues requires an understanding of the root causes of outcome disparities within our society. And finally, inclusion is an outcome to ensure those that are diverse actually feel and or are welcomed. Inclusion outcomes are met when you, your institution, and your program are truly inviting to all. To the degree to which diverse individuals are able to participate fully in the decision-making processes and development opportunities within an organization or group. All right, so I wanted to set that, that definition out there a little bit. We can unpack that a little, and then again, we're going to talk about why DEI and inclusivity matters. We're going to talk about policy and procedures that we might be able to adopt and apply, and we're going to talk a little bit, hopefully, about kind of investment and how we can shift mindset and shift dollars and cents towards what we believe is so important. So wanted to, to kind of go back around the table and uh, at the high level, why is, why is it important? Why is inclusivity, diversity, equity important? Why is language important? And give me, you know, two minutes maybe of the high level thinking that each of you has top of mind that we want to really focus on. So Mo, if you want to kick us off there again. Sure, I, I think, you know, one of the, the biggest things that I, I think about is kind of making an additional distinction between including and inclusion. Um, so 
on the high level, just making sure that just because people are existing in spaces doesn't mean that inclusion is happening. Just because we're nice doesn't mean that we are inclusive. And one of the reasons why I think uh, Jensen, we had a conversation when we were talking about uh, what training needs that you all had was that how everything is connected, especially in the restaurant industry. And how we treat our employees is how they will treat the customers. Um, and so if they don't feel included and they don't feel like they are a part of the process, then that can translate into customer service, which could, at the end of the day, um, can hurt you in profits, can hurt you in retention, and really be um, a situation where you are constantly spending money, spending resources and time trying to get and bring in continuous diversity when you're not able to maintain it as a company. So it can not, it's really cost effective to put in processes and have a clear understanding of what inclusion is. Um, so that way you're able to retain and you're able to consistently build on a positive culture. Yeah, Mo, that's something that I really appreciate about interacting with you. Kai's got some, some really great high level thoughts on dollars and cents as well is that the realistic fight needs to be won. It needs to be hearts and minds. It also needs to be in the wallet. So I think it's important for us to create clear expectations of how this can be a, a financial windfall for a business, as well as just the right thing to do. And I think whenever we can strike that balance, I think that's a, that's a strong formula for success. So appreciate that. Mackenzie, for you, uh, how does this kind of show up? What's the high level? What's the conversation internally at Seven Shifts? How are you applying that? Uh, give us some of the high level thinking for you. Sure. I mean, for me, I, I'm often thinking about kind of our core values and how they relate into, you know, quote unquote, real life. Um, one of one of them is to make every experience an 11. And I, I think about that in my role and what that means and, and making sure that we have an environment where everyone is is really happy to be a part of. When it comes to the inclusivity side and why it matters, I, I think about just how important it is for people to feel comfortable being who they really are at work and how not being able to do so really denies us of something kind of essential. You know, we're all human beings with these human feelings. And even at work, we really need to be seen as such. You know, we often hear people say, you know, keep it professional or, you know, check it at the door. Um, and I think there's, I think that's a little too black and white. I think there is kind of this gray area when you think about building trust and in, in having a high performing team where you kind of need to know each other and you need to know a bit about, you know, your personal lives and what makes you tick. Um, and if we have to repress who we really are to earn a living, we become alienated and that that's going to make us hate going to work. And if you're relaying that to dollars and cents, it's like, well, if people are spending all their time repressing who they are, they could be spending that energy being productive, uh, you know, or, or doing, or doing better, you know, more meaningful things. I guess my, my ending thought on that is, you know, I, I also think about one of our core values, which is solve with simplicity and just having the ability to break down complex, you know, problems and propose simple solutions. And I think a big part of that is, is having, you know, diverse backgrounds and experiences and beliefs at the table, pairing that with everyone's ability to kind of speak and to be heard, you know, when a decision gets made, even if it wasn't, um, even if it wasn't what you wanted, there's that consensus and that buy-in because you realize that all angles and different angles were, were considered. Um, so I think that's, again, affects your bottom line because you're going to have better outcomes for, for the business and for your customers. Yeah, that simplicity, really important. Restaurant people are an interesting 
uh, dynamic where we tend to not like easy yet we really really crave simple right like easy is if for some reason if we don't bleed out of the eyeballs for it we don't respect it yet we also want something to be so simple that from a to z we can like create a recipe it's very linear sometimes so i can appreciate trying to find that balance so thank you for that for sure ali for you what's the what's the high level thinking that uh that's top of mind for you when we're talking sure. about dei I think for me, I'm, I'm kind of in a lucky space. We are already in a subculture space, right? We're an LGBTQ bar, we're a lesbian queer space. So all of our employees are already a part of that community. So we've already kind of jumped that first hurdle inadvertently. <laughs> um, but I think that it is something, um, I really agree with sort of the simplicity, but also I think in the terms of equity that something that we often see in the restaurant and bar industry is people of color who are perhaps more back of house or security and not front of house. And so for us, it's really been making sure that people are able to see themselves um, in those positions of power, right? It, it's about seeing where someone who looks like you just seeing someone who looks like you in a position of power creates this sort of magical serotonin release in your brain and it's really wonderful to be like oh you know that person is is representing me representing my community representing something that is familiar to me and therefore I have the ability to do that and I think again it boils down to that simple fact of just putting people in positions not only that they definitely deserve and that they work for, but so they're not just, you know, putting a, a seat at the table, they're in the conversation. Yeah, that being able to kind of have some say in your own path, I think yes. is pretty important. We've talked about that here where the brigade system comes into play in that dynamic where we have such rigid hierarchy built in and, and we pretend like we're this elite fighting force yet the amount of time effort money training that goes to train somebody in a in a military situation is massive because they know that every single individual uh you, you're only as strong as so, quote unquote your weakest link so they're spending so much time we just say here jump in you've bartended before you've been a cook before just jump in the fire and we don't actually spend a lot of time understanding what's going to take for them to be able to thrive and succeed so i, I appreciate that sentiment kai uh, talk to us. You got a lot of thoughts. Give us the high level and we'll, we'll get into some stuff. But you also set a really uh, interesting expectation when you talked about some of the numbers that I just had no idea. Like, not only are we not doing the right thing by not having inclusive workplaces, it's just downright a bad business decision as well. And you really like got that stuck in my head. So I appreciate that. Uh, give us a little bit of your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just to kind of start out with some of those numbers you were talking about. So, you know, in Colorado, the annual spending at restaurants for the LGBTQ population is $5.85 billion. And then annually across the U.S., it's $65 billion. So this is like a large, large spending power. It's a very powerful um, customer segment. And so I guess inclusivity, just talking from you know myself and why it's important to me, 
Um, so especially in the restaurant um, industry, you know, it's it's a way to really create a foundation for employees to feel comfortable living and working as their true selves, as we talked about uh, earlier. And, you know, there's been 135, like over 135 anti-trans bills that have been introduced in 2021. And so myself as a trans and trans masculine non-binary consumer, uh, not necessarily within the restaurant industry, right? Like I, I continuously have issues with being misgendered, you know, um, not really having spaces to go to be around queer culture because most of queer culture resides in like the bar and drinking scene and nightlife and um, also bathrooms. I mean, bathrooms are a huge issue for me. If I use the woman's room, I'm always getting like feedback, like, hey, you're in the wrong restroom or, oh, geez, sorry, I thought, you were a man. And, you know, I think there's just a lot of celebrating of diversity we need to do within the queer community. And then also, how can we celebrate this within, you know, our employees at restaurants and then also for our customers? I think it's really important. So, yeah. Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of that work uh, over the next couple of weeks with a lot of different content especially those gender neutral bathroom policies is something that again took this guidance and we need to start to adopt these things more quickly in the restaurant industry we've known about this for far too long and so you know building uh like said chef ready one of our clients here in denver has three restrooms if if it has a door and hinges and closes behind you then it's a gender neutral bathroom and built that directly into policy. I think it's very important. It can't just be, again, window dressing. It has to be foundational to the business to have any opportunity to sustain. So I appreciate you for that. And the, the spending money, I mean, talk about a community that, that is underrepresented and you know understimulated when it comes to where they might be spending their time, money, and, and, uh, and, their, and their workforce. So I, I think... We're, we're absolutely missing a massive opportunity. And once again, it's just the right thing to do. So if you can balance those two things, I mean, it's a win-win. So Erica, uh, what for you? I, I'm, I'm fascinated as somebody who is seeing this through the filmmaker's lens, seeing it through almost like the anthropological lens of like what it's, uh, what is the human experience within that? And then what are you seeing? What are some of the uh, the patterns that you're recognizing? What are some of the, the human moments? Give us some of that thinking. I'm, I'm fascinated in your perspective. Yeah. So, you know, in our film, and I can speak specifically to that because um, I feel like that's the most relevant. And, you know, looking at the history of lesbian bars and lesbian spaces, it's a divisive history. I mean, I think that we, there's a section of our film where we reflect on uh, a couple of the bars and we interrogate their past. I mean, for example, one of the bars in the 1970s that we highlight is a bar called Bonnie and Clyde. And in some ways, it was, you know, uh, completely revolutionary that that bar even existed. It was owned by Elaine Remignoli. And, you know, as Many of us know women couldn't even get a line of credit on their own in the until the 1970s, and they couldn't get liquor licenses in New York City. So the fact that she was, you know, a single woman owner um, was unprecedented. But you know, the kind of darker side of this is that 
she had a race-based quota at the door. Uh, black and brown lesbians uh, were often excluded from these spaces. And in as a result of that, they created the Salsa Soul Sister organization. And it was the first black and Latina lesbian organization in the country. And the way in which they interpreted lesbian space was not necessarily a bar, but at the piers or at a church or at different kinds of restaurants. So it kind of helps our thesis that lesbian bars are, you know, more than just like the four walls that inhabit it. It's, uh, you know, something that's metaphysical. It's something that's thematic. And part of our journey in making this film was capturing how lesbian bars are evolving. I mean, Ali said it earlier in this conversation that she, you know, uh, defined a league of her own as a lesbian bar and queer space. And that's something that's fundamental to the survival of all of our uh, lesbian bars. Um, it's not just lesbian bar, it's lesbian bar and. And what's interesting is that there has been a bit of backlash um, with some of this kind of revised uh, language to meet the uh, needs of this current generation. Um, for example, Lisa Canastrosi, the owner of Henrietta Hudson in New York, she recently changed her logo. Um, you know, she had a logo for 30 years that was pretty like uh, female presenting and uh, she changed it to something gender neutral. And there was a couple of, I would say, uh, turfy, uh, you know, kind of militant lesbians that uh, commented on that kind of trolled her Instagram page and trolled our Instagram page and uh, really commented on the fact that Henrietta Hudson shouldn't be part of a lesbian bar project anymore, et cetera. And I thought Lisa had such a profound response to that. She essentially said, you thought 10, 20 years ago, you were in a bar that was exclusively lesbian, but you were wrong. There were trans men there. There were non-binary people there. There were trans women there. There were pansexual people there, bisexual people there. And the fact of the matter is, is that these identities have always made up the lesbian community and vice versa. And the onus is on us to be actively inclusive to our most vulnerable members of the LGBTQIA community. So that's actively creating space for trans folks, actively creating space for black and brown folks, uh, for immigrants, for, you know, homeless youth. And it's, uh, I think that these spaces are evolving to do so, but there is work to be done. And I think the, like the, you know, I point to the bar owners and the managers like Ali and like the people that we're working with who are actively doing the work to make a uh, space safe for everyone. Yeah, I can, I can appreciate that. This is work that we all have to do. And, and it's not definitive work. I think is what I, what I keep hearing that this is ongoing work that continuously being able to and having the space to define and refine and continue to evolve our own personal uh, perspectives, our communal perspectives, our business perspectives, and uh, makes sense. Generational, to your point, uh, is, is going to be shifting. So I think the fact that we're active in that and we don't just write down a policy and then it's steadfast and it is what it is and look at what we did. We created something that's equitable and inclusive. Uh, the reality is that it's ever shifting. So I appreciate hearing that. But Jayla, I'm so glad you raised your hand to come up on stage. I definitely want you to introduce yourself as uh, as somebody who I've been very inspired from a lot of the collaboration that we've gotten to do and, and uh, your voice out there in the Chicago area. So real quick, tell us uh, who you are and then please give us your thoughts 
and uh, definitely what sparked you to want to jump up here and, and speak with us. If Jaylee, you want to unmute your microphone if you're trying to talk. There, there we go. There we go. Sorry. Um, and I apologize for the sound. I'm actually driving home right now um, safely, but I, I am in the car, so there's some ambient noise. Um, one of the things... Uh, oh, hi. I'm Jayla. Uh, my pronouns are mostly she, sometimes they. I'm still working on it. Um, I am a marketing director at the cheese company. I'm also a marketing for a nonprofit, the Cheese Culture Coalition, which aims to educate uh, BIPOC youth and encourage them into the field of cheese, whether that is cheese making, mongering, um, agriculture, animal husbandry. So um, that's kind of a short list of who I am. My past life, I was a cook and a chef. Um, one of the things that I that I appreciate and has been touched on a little bit, but um, I'm actually breaking away from DEI and I'm trying to encourage DEII with the other I being for intersectionality. Um, I've I've noticed that as as people are working to working on their DEI programs, they're doing a lot of if this then not that. So um, an example would be last year during a discussion um, at a cheese conference put on by members of the LGBTQ uh, community. At one point they said, when we talk about DEI, we're not talking about like people of color, that's a different discussion. And it's not, it's it's very much a, a, an overlapping discussion. Um, if you're talking about how do we um, create spaces for um, queer folks or trans folks or whoever is part of that, uh, that rainbow, we need to also discuss that a lot of those people are also people of color. And so what we're doing um, needs to have a broader gaze. Um, I found that the LGBTQ um, initiatives seem to always have a, a white gaze. So we need to accept that and, and understand that there are people of color, there are people in that, in that group who are also disabled. There are people in that group who also are, um, you know, other protected classes. And what I really would like to see is for people to work more in the intersectionality. There's this thought that, you know, if you don't publicly come out as something, then it doesn't apply to you. And we really need to make space for people who, you know, don't want to discuss their their disabilities or um, their sexuality or. Um, their, their gender publicly. Um, we need to just make that space for them in case they want to, or just so they know that there is a safe space here, that it isn't just, you you can be either one or the other, but you can't be both. We have so much overlap. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm done talking now. <laughs> Don't apologize. That was really great. I really appreciate that. Again, I'm just so, so honored to like learn from such thinkers uh, it's just anybody who is creative who's innovative who's willing to put themselves out there is willing to speak whether it's popular or not I'm, I'm appreciative because i now am going to reflect on dei i think that's that's important uh what i want to do now is open it up so everyone up on stage uh what we're going to do is we'll just pick up a topic and i want to pick up this this idea that erica laid down a little bit and jayla kind of 
uh, hammered home a little bit more and uh, just jump in. We'll probably take 10, 12 minutes. I want to discuss this. I think it's important. And then again, through the lens of potentially policy and procedure that we can apply and anything as far as investment opportunities, anything that's practical application. But please just unmute your microphone, a little bit of etiquette. Uh, just if somebody else unmutes their microphone and you notice that, take a look at your screen. Uh, Ajayla, be careful. And you know, if, if two of you kind of jump in at one time, just somebody go ahead and yield and then we'll make sure and come back to you and, uh, and jump in here with this topic of thinking of DEII, thinking of how we're creating intersectionality. Uh, let's pick that up and run with it for a little bit. Who wants to jump in first? I can, I'd love oh. to. Oh, go ahead, Kai. Sorry. I, I just wanted to mention that I've actually heard a lot. I've heard um, bid, like belonging, inclusion, and diversity. I think belonging, that aspect of DEII or whatever kind of acronym you're going with, I think it's an important factor. Ellie, go ahead and jump in. Um, so I was just going to say in terms of like, you know, with inclusion and um, we're talking not just about race or gender. There's so many additional things, you know, um, that, that were mentioned and, and disability and um, body size, gender presentation, sexuality. Um, I think we're very, again, like I said, you know, we're very lucky that we kind of have already jumped that first hurdle because we are an LGBT space. Um, but it's really important. And I find that my staff are happier um, when they are able to present it the way that they wish. And when uh, we are, we're telling them things like, for example, Pride Weekend was this last weekend. And I told them, you know, you do not have to wear your normal uniform. Like this is our time to celebrate. I would like you to wear whatever you feel most comfortable in, right? And we had such a different array of what comfort was for people. And it's really good for our customers to also see that you can be, you know, um, a non-binary trans person who, kind of is a little bit more fluid and you can wear a sports bra, but you can also be wearing pants, you know, like you there, you can wear a dress, you can wear a skirt, you can wear a bandeau top. You can, there's so many things that are gendered and not in terms of clothing that we like to mix and match so that people can see that there's no one right way. And I think our staff really benefits from that because they feel authentically themselves. And as mentioned before, you know, by, I believe Mackenzie, you were saying when staff feel more like themselves, we are able to really produce the, our best work. Mm. And I, I think building off of that, it gives permission to, for others who might be a little bit, you know, more afraid or for yes. whatever reasons to also be themselves and, you know, to see that, oh, that, that person came out at work or this happened or they dressed that way and like they were accepted like nobody batted an eye or thought twice oh maybe i maybe i could do that too yeah like being able to um post on our instagram and being like oh this is garnet um come see her because she has really she did a really gorgeous eyeshadow with all the trans colors you know like for us to be able to say not only do we support you and you're seen here, but we're celebrating you. 
that brings it up to a next level, both for staff and customers. Ali, what you're saying right now, and Mo and Mackenzie, I'll come to you quick. I, I really want to reinforce, Ali, what you're saying right now, because the thing that we have done so much in food and beverage and hospitality is become transactional in selling the burger or the cocktail. Yes. And the reality is those are commoditized. Anybody else can make that. And probably somebody's making it better. Probably somebody has more <laughs> money to market it. And so what's interesting is you only have human equity. The only thing that that sets you apart from the rest of your competition in the market is those individuals. So little things like the eyeshadow, I think, are, are the future of marketing for restaurants and hospitality. Absolutely. So I appreciate you highlighting that, Ali. And, and, uh, and Mackenzie, why don't maybe let you pick it up? I know you jumped in quick. And then Mo, we'll, we'll, we'll let you kind of finish this topic a little bit. Uh, but Mackenzie, thoughts, thoughts on intersectionality, maybe how you are approaching it specifically at Seven Shifts? Well, you know, I think um, a lot of memes are circulating as we go into June Pride Month about, oh, okay, like watch where those businesses just update their logo and that's it. And I mean, I def definitely don't claim to be perfect and, and we're learning as we're going. But I think uh, one of the things that we're doing this um, month that I'm really, ex I'm really excited about and I'm really proud about is um, we're actually hosting kind of a fireside chat Pride edition where we have different folks who volunteered that um, are part of the LGBTQ plus community and they're going to be opening up about their experiences to help educate others, you know, talk about why pride is important in our community and I think just create a safe space for, for everyone to feel accepted and to learn from one another in a, a safe place. I think, I think, you know, even like the best thing that we can do as leaders is go, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know about something, but here's where I'm going to go to find out or where I'm going to go get exposure to something, whether it's listening to this book or reading this article or this podcast or just, you know, hearing people's experiences. And um, I might be getting a little tangential here, but we, uh, we had a four part lunch and learn series where we, we brought in somebody that we really look up into the uh, look up to in the community as a bit of a trailblazer. And one of the things that she said as she was introducing herself is, you know, I'm so and so and I'm I, I'm living in contradiction. He said, what do you mean by that? And she goes, well, like, you know, I, I grew up my dad's I, in a mixed family. My dad's black. My mom's white. And, you know, I, I myself and all the work that I'm doing, and all the education that I have, I find myself having racist thoughts. I'll see somebody crossing the street and I'll go, well, I wonder why they, they did this or they said that. And then I'll check myself, though, and I'll say, wait a second, why are you thinking that way? That's not okay. And I think um, even her saying that in, in her opening really got people to kind of open up and talk about their experiences. And it, it was um, just like a really inviting environment to open up those those discussions that maybe can seem challenging or taboo at times because people don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah, thanks for that. Mo, you want to jump in and uh, comment on this kind of thread we're talking about? Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that came to mind um, was just about how do we move from talking to actually action? Because I think a lot of us um, that are having this conversation now come in with really great intent, um, but we could have policies and practices in place that actually are counterintuitive to the things that we're saying, because we all have bias, we are all capable of having microaggressions, um, and especially as a, a leader or a manager, um, because of the hierarchy systems that are in place, it could 
And as you've seen in a lot of restaurants, a lot of people of color or a lot of different marginalized and different identities um, are customer facing. Sometimes it does feel like it's hard to talk to managers or leaders. And you could also be experiencing microaggressions and negative behaviors from customers. And, you know, in those aspects where, you know, the customer is always right, sometimes it can make communication really, really challenging. Um, and so when it comes to having procedures and practices in place, making sure, number one, one of the first things you need to have is something for feedback, right? Because it's impossible for people that don't have those experiences to know what your experience is. And so if you don't build in processes to not only receive feedback from customers, but the different people in your organization, then there's going to be gaps that happen. And there's going to be things that because it's so repetitive in the restaurant industry, I think Jensen, you, you kind of mentioned this in our conversation, that things can really start to build up very, very quickly if you don't start putting in um, processes to have more communication um, and really start to break down some of these bad habits around the restaurant industry and start to build in new ones as you build in an inclusive culture. Yeah, that feedback loop. So so fundamental and it's interesting in, a, in an industry where you're built on communication that, that we are so bad so often at communicating internally right like we have this tough guy tough gal mentality that you smile it's part of your uniform leave your shit at the door like it's all about the guest's experience and that leaves us vulnerable to not actually being able to say what really matters what really is affecting us and that is a huge vulnerability this facade that i talk about us putting up so often and like look there's 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 absolutely strength in our ability to as a team find ways to overcome any individual's momentary shortcoming or their mood or whatever it might be to uplift each other so that that guest does that have that amazing experience that's that's a huge superpower yet it leaves us vulnerable. We leave, quote unquote, everything out on the field and there's nothing left. We're sucked completely dry. And I think that's an important thing, that feedback loop. So let's pick that up. I wanna talk about those feedback loops, the communication, how we're seeing those work, where they break down, that kind of Mo laid down. Mackenzie, I think, touched on that a little bit as well. And then I really want to talk about uh, something that Ali brought up that I think is a, another practical thing, is kind of this idea of gendered uniforms and how we address that within restaurants that are trying to have brand continuity, have a certain look or vibe, yet still have fluidity within that. I think that might be a practical thing that restaurants can start to uh, look at and potentially address. So those are the two things I think from what we've talked about, that'd be great for us to touch on. Obviously so much, only so much that we can touch on in an hour, but I feel like that is good value being brought. And once again, this is being recorded. So we will have this up on the podcast so that we can continue to bring this value to so many more people as you know, that uh, it'll live evergreen in perpetuity and people can address this. And then we can listen back to it and say, wow, how much we've evolved a year from uh, this conversation. I'd be fascinated in as well. All right. So this idea of communication and feedback loops and breakdown, uh, who wants to pick that up? Anybody jump in, please. I'm happy to share what I do on our shifts, if that's helpful. Yeah, please. Sure. 
Um, so after the end of every shift, uh, typically this is going to be a Friday, Saturday, uh, when I am in the building, um, Thursdays, I am the bartender. Um, but I just, I check in with my staff. I ask them if there was anything that, you know, they felt they needed feed to give feedback on or needed feedback on. Um, we are a really close knit team. There are only 14 of us. Um, and everyone has the same shift every weekend. So, uh, like I said, we are, are very close, not in the creepy corporate family. We're going to make you work for 90 hours a week version, but definitely family for sure. And, um, it's really helpful, I think, to just be able to listen to your staff, to make sure that they know that you are not judging them, that you support them, that they're not going to lose their positions because honesty is going to be above all else. Open communication is going to be above all else. You know, if, if I have someone come to me and say, hey, you know, I didn't feel like I was getting enough support, I need to know that as, as manager, right? I need to know that as someone who is there for my staff. So making sure that we're having those, those daily or weekly check-ins is really important. And at the end of the shift, um, you know, like any good uh, restaurant or bar industry, you kind of have to have a little, a little moment of uh, perhaps shit talking is not the best word, but you know, have that cathartic moment with your staff to be like, what crazy thing happened to you today? You know, having those moments where people feel heard um, I find that my staff are feel more comfortable um, when I say, oh, yeah, you know, like if I admit to my mistakes and I admit to the things that happened to me, they're more comfortable being like, oh, something like that happened to me. And then we can be like, oh, well, maybe there's a pattern. Let's fix it. Does that make sense? Allie, it makes so much sense. Uh, I want to make sure and share one of the clubhouses we had uh, over Mental Health Awareness Month last month. And mm -hmm. Kat Kinsman, a senior editor of Food and Wine magazine, and who started Chefs with Issues, uh, was on a couple times. And we on on air, so to speak, had one of those cathartic scream in the walk-in moments where the whole panel just kind of screamed and like your skin tingled, and then you just like felt this release. And it's interesting uh, as we're talking about creating safe spaces within kind of the general business. There's even those micro safe spaces potentially within. Um, your four walls as well. So I, I do think that there is those cathartic moments. Now they can become passe and like, are people, you know, being forced to be cathartic for themselves? And so there's a balancing act there. And I think if, if you're finding those clear and setting those clear boundary expectations and assertiveness within the individual to allow them to, you know, express themselves the way that they actually feel then creating those moments i think as a feedback loop is a great opportunity so ali i appreciate that mackenzie mo kai jayla anybody else please go ahead and just jump in and pick this up feedback loops what else can we be thinking about um well i also want to point out even just the simple things of like learning someone's name and learning someone's pronoun um and just building in small um opportunities for rapport because i think to go straight to feedback, you know, it, it could be challenging for a lot of people to just say it, right? Sometimes they hold on to things for longer than it needs to be because they're just not sure what type of environment. Because, you know, sometimes you might say something and then the whole dynamic changes and now you're just like, oh my gosh, why did I just say that? Um, and so building in small opportunities for rapport will help reinforce the importance that we want to hear your voice um, and we really value feedback. And so just 
adding that into the conversation as well. Yeah, Mo, you mentioned something to us that uh, what pronouns you prefer, it's not preferred, it's what pronouns do you use? Again, it's just that little nuance of language that especially internally and externally as we're training our, our teams to utilize language, which again is something restaurants do. We are very good at training language and we need to start to take some of the arcane language that we have used and try to, to, to understand it better and use new language, but preferred versus just use, it's those micro little tweaks that we need to be thinking about and making. So I appreciate that you've highlighted that for us. Yes, yes, absolutely. Inclusive language goes a long way because we repeat it often. Yes. All right. Anybody else? Jayla, yeah, jump in. Hi. Um, so one of the things I found when I had a crew um, that I was that I was uh, responsible for was anytime someone new came on board, I would start by introducing myself, talking about my pronouns. And then um, to be personal, I'd say, Oh, and I'm also allergic to shrimp and that. So it becomes very routine. Like I'm not specifically saying, you know, pronouns, give them to me. Like it's, it's very much like this is as normal as saying you have a food allergy or, you know, that anything else about yourself. Um, and I found that by setting that tone um, with my crew, when other people came on board, they were likely to say, oh, actually... They prefer that program or it's it's yes, you want that feedback, but also starting out strong by saying, This is who I am, this is how you know, setting that tone on this is how we discuss um, our colleagues, this is how we talk to each other and talk about one another. Um, I think is really important. Yeah, it can't just be about checking that box. It has to be about creating that personality. And it's something for, for everyone listening, restaurant people that will be listening on the podcast later as well, is finding those things that restaurant people do well. I've mentioned it a couple of times. I'm always trying to find the thing. Like, what is something that is individuals, teams, companies, and industry that we do well? Language is something that we train actively on. And I talk, we talked last month about mental health mise en place. It feels like there needs to be you know, D-E-I-I mise en place. Set your station. Build your prep list. Know what you're, what you're walking into service. How many covers? Like these things that we do pre-shift. We do these things categorically pretty well. We need to deploy those against things that historically we do not do well. And I think there's massive opportunity. And that's, I, I hear that echoed. So set your station, use your training and language, and business's responsibility is shifting towards having that be more inclusive is, uh, is now an expectation Matter of fact, if you are not doing that, you are doing your business, your community, uh, a disservice. And so appreciate that. Uh, what else? Anything else, Mackenzie, Kai, on, uh, on kind of this feedback loop idea? Yeah, definitely. So I think um, it's really important to kind of talk about uh, trans and gender nonconforming individuals um, working in the restaurant industry and understanding, you know, going back to mentioning language, you know, understanding that uh, the hospitality and food and beverage industry, you know, it's a very gendered style of service and language, right? And so understanding that, um, you know, there's a lot of trans people who aren't out at work, 
And a lot of them are just are scared of the customers and the ways that like, you know, they'll react, but then also not having backup from, you know, higher ups and managers and whatnot. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really important to talk about language and especially understanding that, you know, the amount of times I get either mammed or served and I'm like, I am neither of those, you know, and it's just, it, it it's building this awareness and understanding of LGBTQ individuals and what they go through on a daily basis. And then that helps you understand that, okay, yeah, maybe we have to change the, you know, the, the language we're using. And maybe we also, I think external communication is big too. I think it's really important to be communicating and to be transparent about the kind of practices and policies you have in place and how you're championing, um, you know, LGBTQ equality. Um, yeah. Kai, you and I have talked about this and I'm going to continue to talk about it. And I mentioned earlier, we have to create a different type of storytelling, a different type of marketing within this industry. And the things that we're talking about, like if you truly are investing the time, the effort, the care, you know, having that pre-shift, end of shift, the, having the trainings that, you know, Mo's doing, what Ali's talking about, building that foundationally into your business, well, I want everybody to know about that. Like, I don't want them to just know that you slap this kind of cheese and that kind of mushroom on a burger this week and that's the shit you want me to buy. I might come buy that. I want to know about the eye makeup. I want to know about the things that you're doing to make sure that I have a, a safe experience, that I have an enjoyable experience, and that the, the people who are working so hard to bring me that experience as a customer or that are going to be right next to me in that experience as a coworker are feeling that same level of security, that same level of psychological safety, that same level of of joy. And if joy isn't what they're feeling at that moment, that they're able to speak on that. And I think that's, what's going to create a dynamic environment. And I appreciate you pointing it out that we need to, we need to find ways to tell those stories because we haven't done that. We know how to sell food and we need to stop selling food and start telling stories and have those stories be meaningful to more and more people that are in our community. So appreciate that. Mackenzie, I don't think we came to you specifically on kind of the feedback loop, but there's anything you want to add to that. And I do want to take a couple of minutes because I think uniforms is a big white space that has not really been addressed very well. And I want to give some time to that. But Mackenzie, any parting thoughts on kind of the feedback loop? I just have one, you know, I'm thinking about just how important it is, yes, to, to ask for feedback, but then to actually do something with it and action it so that people know that it's going somewhere and that you're kind of, you know, in leadership, holding yourself accountable, uh, no matter how big or small. So whether you bring it up and say, hey, by the way, here's what we did based on this feedback, Thank you. Not getting defensive about it. Um, you know, one little example I can think of is, you know, people have the best of intentions. We recently got some feedback that we had a social event where um, it was a trivia night and we had people guess, guess that song. And somebody's like, you know, I actually didn't grow up in Canada. Like I didn't, I didn't know any of the songs and I couldn't really contribute. And I know that, you know, you meant it to be a really fun thing, but this is something you might want to think about going forward. And I was like, of course, that makes so much sense. Why didn't we think of that? Like, thank you. We'll be more mindful of that going forward. Not being defensive in leadership is fundamental. And it is so unbelievably hard. I, I understand for anybody interacting with this going, you know, I'm trying, but like, it's, it's so personal. 
in, in a restaurant. It's like calling somebody's child ugly. It can feel that attacking and that personal because you, like I said, you leave it all out there. There's nothing, it's everything. And we don't find that balance for ourselves. Without that balance, there is nothing but a personal attack when some part of your leadership or your menu or your drinks or your how your how your uniform looks it feels always like a personal attack because we personalize it so so much and so that balance is something that i definitely hear in that mackenzie uh ali i wanted to uh have you kind of reiterate a little bit and maybe go down that rabbit hole a little bit more of uniforms because i think there's a lot of need and opportunity we've talked a, a lot about like how how gendered the uniforms are and heard a lot of you know stories of, of saying oh well you're going to be a cocktail waitress and that uniform has a mini skirt you're going to be x y and z and that means that you need to be wearing this type of uniform and it puts people in a really awkward position inclusive of the fact that quite often people are gauged on the potential to be hired based on their physicality and how they will quote unquote fit into that uniform so we have a lot of work to do when it comes to uniforms so i want to take a couple minutes and address that because i think that's something that we need to tackle and can you know start applying today right now so ali start us off here absolutely um i started bartending when i was 18 and i had to wear a low-cut shirt and short shorts uh, I was bartending in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm originally from Tennessee. And um, I learned that that was just part of what I was expected of me as a woman. I think that when we think about um, uniforms, uniforms are an assimilation into um, you know, acceptable culture, right? And if we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusivity, um, and the other I that I am now just blanking on, um, Intersectionality. Intersectionality, yes. Um, you know, we have to think about like, okay, if we are truly celebrating our people, what does that really mean? So for me, I am actually most comfortable bartending in a skirt. People think I am crazy, but it gets hot behind the bar. And I remember the first time that our owner saw me in a skirt, he was like, are you going to be able to do this job? Because he didn't know any better, right? He was a cis man who'd never worn a skirt before. And I was like, actually, I'm going to be able to do it even better. And be having that conversation with my staff to say, hey, you know, this is about you being comfortable because if you are happy, you are comfortable, you work better, you work harder, you're more efficient, you feel excited to be here, you're confident, people gravitate towards that, right? Now, I, of course, am not in a fine dining situation, so it might be, it is very different for us. Uh, but I think it's really just important that my staff know that if they fa feel their best in a dress or um, we had a girl wear heels for her shift and I was like, if that's something that you wanna rock, that's fine with me. If it's closed toed, we can roll, you know? And so I think that it, it's very interesting to see how differently people react and sort of blossom when they're allowed to wear what represents them best. So I have a, a full range. We have t-shirts, we have tank tops. Um, if they are 
interested in wearing something that has like a social message on it, that's fine as long as the t-shirt is black. Um, but for Pride, there were absolutely no rules. The, well, there were two rules, no nipples and cover your butt. And that was kind of amazing for my staff to see them truly thrive and wear their colors with pride. Um, we had a, a slew of, of different people wearing the trans flag, the rainbow flag, the lesbian flag. Um, we allow, you know, kink. And so one of our, um, one of our uh, barbacks wore her collar. You know, there's things that um, we may think of, or I should say, um, mainstream media and assimilation may think of as inappropriate or crazy or unacceptable when they have deep roots within our subculture and especially as an LGBT bar having the ability to allow people to present themselves the way that they feel most authentic watching that it's hard to describe but it is it is magical really and it creates better business. Um, you know, it's not just supporting your staff, it is supporting your staff to sell more, to be friendlier, to feel like themselves, and therefore they don't have to think about checking a box, staying within the lines, and selling a product. They are the product. Allie, I definitely need to get out to D.C. I just yeah. <laughs> everything about uh, working or, or coming to, to your spot just sounds like a ton of fun. And we're pretty I, fun. I, I, yes, absolutely. And here's you mentioned this and I want me just uh, stay with you for just a moment. And then sure. I do want to give everyone else an opportunity. It's, uh, you mentioned closed toed because there's also a little bit of a dynamic that you do have to take into account. I, I wanna give it just a little bit of space that there sure. are certain things for safety reasons uh, that are gonna be important for that for potentially the health department as well, as mm -hmm. far as certain adornments, things like that. So how are you kind of uh, balancing that and ensuring that it kind of does in fact check a couple of the boxes for just protecting the business and the individuals within that business while still allowing all that, all that freedom? How, how does that play in? Kind of from an operational standpoint. Sure. Um, so I have a fairly new staff. Uh, we had quite a bit of turnover due to COVID and new management. So um, I have I've personally hired everyone on since February. Um, and with each person, I've had the conversation where I say, you know, I want you to feel comfortable and confident and relaxed in this situation, so that your job is easier for you to do. Here's some things just to let you know that are gonna keep you safe, keep us safe, and they're gonna also kind of, in a way, you know, save you from wrecking your body. So I'm always talking about, and this makes me always sound like, uh, my girlfriend calls me a nana. Um, I'm always talking about like insoles and proper footwear and back braces. And I'm like, look guys, like this is a very physical job. So I think, setting it up to say, you know, we want you to be successful, but we want you to be successful here for a long time. And this industry can burn your body out. So here are the ways that we can help you, um, we can help you navigate that. Additionally, here are the ways that you write it off on your taxes. Here are the ways that we can make sure that, you know, if it, this sounds very specific, but like some of, some of my staff, 
they're like, well, I like Vans because they're non-slip and I don't have an arch. And I'm like, cool. And then I have other people on my staff who are like, I have a huge arch. What do I do? And I'm like, okay, here's some orthopedic shoes that you think you're going to hate but are actually going to be your best friends. It is giving that information, information sharing, um, information dump, really saturating that for your staff um, can end up being a really great deal uh, for them in the long run because they feel supported. You have that knowledge. We crowdsource um, within our Facebook page and, um, you know, even for Pride, it, people, we had a couple of people who were like, hey, this is my first time working at a gay bar. I don't really have a lot of Pride gear. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. Well, we have extra t-shirts here and we ha I brought a bunch of glitter and I brought a bunch of eyeshadow and I'm like, okay, if you don't have it, we will create it for you because as your employer, we want to set you up to feel your best, to be your best, and to give the best service possible. Allie, we're going to follow up after this because I think we're just going to adopt your uniform onboarding procedure as the new industry standards. And oh, no nipples, no butt. We'll, we'll yeah. work to make that happen. I, I appreciate that. All right, so uh, <laughs> we're a little bit past the hour. I do want to be respectful of everyone's time. I uh, just want to maybe leave a, a couple more minutes if anybody else wants to specifically address uniforms. I think it is just such a practical thing that restaurants can be really starting to to take action against because since that's been a topic for sure, underbelly, undercurrent for us is action, action, action. But Mo, Mackenzie, Kai, Jayla, anything specific to uniforms that would help inform the, kind of this dialogue? I definitely uh, would probably just add in uh, kind of gendered stereotypes on dress code and understanding that it's really important to have um, gender neutral dress code requirements and understanding that, you know, stereotypic, or it, it, historically speaking, if you look kind of at what clothing for queer people looked like back in like the 70s, 60s, 70s, um it, queer people could be arrested so for example if if like a masculine presenting lesbian um wasn't wearing at least three female like articles of clothing they could be arrested and understanding also too that um a lot of women of color trans women of color and uh anyone kind of you know defying gendered norms of uh clothing um, you know, they were more likely to see increased uh, violence from the police, from society. Uh, you know, there's a lot of dangers around, um, you know, stereotyping and gendering clothing, I guess, is what I would add to that. Um, thank you, Kai. And I would also like to add hair, um, specifically natural hair, because I think there's always been a discussion around what is professional, what is not, can I have a fro? Is that sanitary, is that not locks? I think there's always been a lot of discussion around um, natural hair, specifically black and Afro um, and natural hairstyles. And so really being explicit around, um, you know, allowing people to express themselves with their hair and having discussions if you need to have a discussion, but, you know, I definitely think that being proactive around that um, and having uh, conversations that need to happen in the, in the onboarding process, but just letting people know that um, it is okay to wear your hair and to have color in your hair and 
to wear your natural hairstyles and it's still professional and it's still, you know, if someone else can have their hair out, then, you know, so can you. Um, so just, I would say transparent about your, your hair policies because it is a thing and people think it's not a thing, but it is a thing. Um, and be consistent with how you are enforcing hair. Um, so just bringing that up. Yeah, Jayla, Mackenzie, anything to add before we kind of start to wrap up this room? No, not from my end. Jayla, for you. Otherwise, I do want to go around and let everyone tell uh, the audience where uh, where we can find you at. But uh, Jayla, uh, just want to make sure uh, if you want to add anything to to uniform. No, I'm I'm good. I think um, the the points I would have made have been made about natural hair and. Um, I would just add in, you know, head wraps and head coverings, um, whether they're for religious reasons or for protection, for hair protection, um, also kind of fit under that, that uh, umbrella, I think. Yeah, that's a very good point. So, okay. Uh, unbelievably uh, inspiring conversation today. A lot of things that we can take action on. Again, this is what... Uh, all everybody here on this panel, anybody who listens to watch this, hold myself and our team accountable to put these into action uh, anywhere and everywhere that we can. And uh, we're starting to break through a lot of the white noise of, again, everyone focusing on that burger that they're selling. And there's a shift. There's a mindset shift. There's a culture shift. There's a language shift. There is an openness that there hasn't been before. And we're looking to cultivate future generations of millions of people who will be a part of this industry or not if we do not actually start to invest in our most valuable asset, our people. And this is an expectation, rightfully so, long overdue. So thank you to everyone for that conversation. But I do want to go around. Where's the best place that uh, people connect connect with you? We will have some resources, links to websites, uh, articles, anything that will help inform this into the future. There will be links in the description of the podcast episode, which once again will come out uh, this upcoming Thursday at 12 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So that'll be available for everyone. Mo, where uh, where's the best places to find you for anybody listening in? Um, best place is Instagram at Culture Energized. So you can find me there. I also do um, random uh, public trainings that I open for not just organizations that I'm working with, but people from the public that are trying to learn about bias, microaggressions, all of that jazz. Um, and so I usually post that on Instagram if I do have um, open trainings for the public as well. But Instagram is the place. Okay, IG and, and uh, DMO, I know somebody who is actively trying to communicate uh, on the platform. Uh, Mackenzie, best place to connect with, uh, with you? Uh, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn, just my name, Mackenzie Hunter, or shoot me an email, mackenzie.hunter at sevenshifts.com. All right, and Allie, besides getting uh, my butt out to, to D.C., where else? Where's the best places to connect with you and um, your own? You can always find me on Instagram at Allison Clover, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-C-L-O-V-E-R. Um, but really, please just follow us at Aloho, A-L-O-H-O-D-C. Uh, we post every day. I post every day, multiple times a day. Um, and we are signal boosting and doing mutual aid. And it would just be great to have more followers there. 
love that. And we got to talk about getting you an uh, IG takeover because uh, I love <laughs> some of this vibe on our Instagram page at Besser Podcast. Another space yeah. we're opening up for sure. So, uh, Kai, for you, best place to connect. Yeah, for sure. So I'd say to connect with the Queer Umbrella and what we're doing um, on Instagram at the Queer Umbrella. And then also for me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, Kai Walsh. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely hit me up. Kai is absolutely a leader in this space, in and out and above and beyond just the hospitality industry. So whatever industry that you might be a part of. And, uh, and Ajayla, again, I'm so happy you jumped in. Uh, this was your drive time uh, show on your way home. I appreciate that. And uh, where can people connect with you? Where, uh, where can they get inspired around cheese? Because uh, I know that's your world right now. Hi. Um, so um, on Instagram, I personally am Cheese Wench. Um, and the group, uh, the nonprofit I mentioned earlier is Cheese Culture Coalition. All one word. Um, and you can find us at cheeseculturecoalition.org as well. All right. Thanks to each of you. Really appreciate it. Everybody who uh, joined us throughout this conversation and then everybody listening on the podcast, whenever and wherever you are, uh, become a part of this conversation. Connect with us. Connect with Best Served Podcast. Go check out articles getting written uh, around Pride Month specifically. Definitely read the last stage from Ajayla Abdullah on uh, besserpodcast.com as well. It was a space very important to myself and Sophie Breaker, who, who runs the media side of what we do, where we're people at every level and every facet of the industry have a voice. Their voice deserves to be heard. And it is our mission to amplify the worth and work of those who feed their community. So that's a great place to connect. Uh, at Best Served Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we are everywhere communicating in every way possible. And I'm so grateful to, uh, to, to hold the space for this conversation to have, to um, look up to the leaders that we have in this room and hopefully take some action and uh, create an industry worth working for generations to come. Truly believe in that. All right. Thank you, Mo, Mackenzie, Ali, Kai, uh, Ajayla, Erica, who had to jump out, Sophie, who's here recording. Thank you all. Have a great rest of your day. We'll end the room on that. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.